If you have your Bibles, and we strongly suggest that you should and do, uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 8 today as we have been over the last several weeks as we've marched through the book of Romans verse by verse and thought by thought and mountain peak by mountain peak. I'm not real loud, he said, Ken. Of course, I'm deaf. Of course, he's deaf, <laughs> and he's right by the speaker, so um, we need that arm thing to come out and extend. So uh, We have spent the last year in the book of Romans, and we've reached uh, Romans chapter 8. And in our outline of Romans, if you're not familiar with it, we saw Romans 1 through 3 was sin, the need for being right with God. And after chapter 3, we started seeing grace by faith alone, justification by faith, the means for being right with God. And it brought us to point 3 of our outline, which is where we're at in Romans 8, which is blessings, the results of being right with God. And, uh, man, we've already seen a bunch of blessings. Uh, and we're not nearly done with Romans 8. So as we march through... So exciting. I'm telling you, every week preparing for these messages, I just, I just get excited. I mean, there's just no other way to say it than that. I mean, I get plum excited uh, to come here and stand in front of you people and read this Bible and share with you what God has done for us. It is amazing. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is hard to believe. It really is. It's hard because this is better than you could ever imagine. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I pray that you'd hear the gospel clearly. The Bible, which we believe is the inspired Word of God, which that means that the Bible is God speaking to us. The Bible itself says that it's breathed out by God. And these words tell us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who would believe. So if you're not a believer here this morning, you're going to hear the gospel. And I pray that you'd respond to that gospel by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that you would believe the gospel. And you'll hear that clearly today, I'm sure. So, Romans, blessings, the results of being right with God. We are in Romans 8. We're going to read <clears throat> verses 26 through 30 today, but we're only going to focus on 26 and 27. So, if you want to get there, we'll read it in a minute, but I, I do want to open with a little paragraph here. You ever, you ever heard the expression, you can take it to the bank? I've heard it before, I've said it before, I'm sure. But what does it mean? You can take it to the bank. Well, I can take beans and cornbread to the bank, but it's not really going to do anything but make somebody happy, I guess. What are people trying to say when they say you can take it to the bank? They're declaring the truthfulness of something. It could be referencing, say, somebody hands you a check. Is this a good check? You can take it to the bank. Or maybe they hand you some gold. Is this real gold? You can take it to the bank. And what they're saying is they're going to validate the truthfulness of this check or this gold, and they'll give you money for it. They'll give you credit for it. You can take it to the bank. We might say, hey... Did you hear that Jason Moore wears Crocs when he preaches? And they'll say, are you sure? You can take it to the bank. Right? I could say something like, the Redskins are going to beat the Steelers tomorrow night. You can take it to the bank. Oh, come on now. <laughs> it's, it's really funny in sports, like especially look back, looking back, we got NBA fans in here, pro basketball. Okay, useless illustration. Um, this past year the, in the NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors were up 3-1 to one in the Finals. 3-1. to one. And when you're up 3-1, to one, you're going to win the series. And people said, you can take it to the bank. They're going to win. Well, guess what? They didn't win. They lost three games in a row. They had set a, a, fran a, a league record for most games won in a year. Nobody's ever won more games in a regular season than the Golden State Warriors won this year. And then they were up three to one in a best of seven series. And people were like, you can take it to the bank. They're going to win. Well, they didn't. Sometimes we think we can take something to the bank, but we can't. 
We just know it for sure. And my question this morning is, what can we take to the bank? Fifteen years ago today, anybody remember where you were when planes were flying into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon? I would say that if you would have asked those people that were affected by those tragedies, coming home this evening, you can take it to the bank and I'll be there. But they couldn't take it to the bank. Very, very few things in the world we can take to the bank. The Redskins are going to beat the Steelers tomorrow. You can take it to the bank. The only reason I'm sharing that meme is because I, sh I just searched the internet for a you can take it to the bank meme. And look what I got. That there internets is awesome. Uh, that is me as a child. That's when I had hair. <laughs> Things were different then. Oh, well, anyway. What if we could take to the bank something really big, something life-altering? What if we could take to the bank that the will of God will be done in our lives? Our lives corporately and our lives individually. What if we knew that that was going to happen no matter what? What if we could take that to the bank? Our passage today tells us that we can. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Again, we're going to read 26 through 30. And we're going to focus on verses 26 and 27 today. But we're going to ask you to stand one more time as we read the Bible. And we do that because it is the Word of God. And we do respect the God of the Bible and the Bible of God. So I'm going to read 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let me pray. God, Your Word is sure. It is established in the heavens, unchangeable and fixed. And that very Word today, God gives us life, gives us hope, gives us power. And we ask that Your Spirit who lives within us would give us the understanding and the power that we need to live it out. Thank You for this beautiful time, God. May You continue to oversee Your Word and Your people by the power of Your Spirit. And we ask it in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Actually, it would be better if you were seated. Because then I'm just going to be looking at y'all. That's what I'm talking about. So, let's start in verse 26. <clears throat> and again, we're covering two big old verses today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, we're so used to the first word of our passage being what? Four. four. It seems like every week, every verse, four, 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 four. Today we've got a different word, likewise. But it's kind of like a four. Likewise. What does likewise mean? It means kind of like what we were just talking about. So, um, I like pizza. Likewise, I like lasagna. In the same way that I like pizza, I like lasagna. So, why would he use this word here? What's he referring back to? Of course, anytime you say that, you've got to go back to the previous passage, which is part of the passage that we looked at last week. Likewise, referring to something previous. So I'm going to read, and you don't have to stand. You can just listen. The end of our passage last week, which is... Uh, we actually looked at 18 through 25 last week. That was a lot, wasn't it? Woo-wee. But... We're just going to read verses 23 through 25 to get a picture of what he's saying when he says likewise. So, 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Hmm. This gave me some trouble. This, this caused me some questions. And that's good. You should always have questions when you read the Bible. Who, what, when, where, why, how? What did you just say, God? What did you mean by that? Who's saying that? Why are they saying that? So when we see likewise, we should ask the question, what is, what is he referring to? What is likewise? I believe there's a couple of different options that this likewise could be referring to. We look back at last week, hope. So something, if, if you look at our verse today, it says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So that likewise could be referring to something that helped us. Right? And last week we saw that hope helped us while we suffered waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So hope helped us. So let's say that this likewise is referring to something that helped us, the hope. If we look at our passage today, what helps us? Or better yet, who helps us? It was hope last week, this week. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. So hope helped us last week. And if this likewise is referring to something that helped us, likewise the Spirit is like hope in that the Spirit helps us like hope helped us. Does that make sense? I've got crickets. Let me to pull that meme back up, you know, wake you up with the raccoon. So we had hope helping us last week, and this week, likewise, possibly, he's referring to the Spirit helping us like hope helped us. Hope gave us the ability to suffer well as we await our final adoption, which is the redemption of our bodies. And hope is what helped carry us through. So today, who helps us? Like hope, the Spirit helps us. As we suffer in our weakness, hope helps, and the Spirit of God Himself helps. Hope helped us by assuring us of what we surely have, but we don't see with our physical eyes yet. And how does the Spirit help us now in this verse? The end of the verse tells us that He, the Spirit Himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now this is also a possibility for what the likewise is referring to. What do I mean by that? Looking back again last week, we saw some groaning going on. 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, <clears throat> through those passages, the whole creation and we ourselves are groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God as they will be when they're recreated, the sons of God. And here, back in our verse for today, stay with me, I know there's a lot of reasoning going on here. That's good though. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and how does He do that? With groanings. So, we had creation groaning, we had us groaning, and is it possible, verse 26 is saying, likewise, the Spirit is groaning, waiting for that ultimate final redemption. A lot of groaning going on. Come on over, baby. A whole lot of groaning going on. Creation, the sons of God, and the Spirit of God all groaning. So that likewise could be referring to the groanings as well. So is the likewise referring to the Spirit helping us like hope helped us? Or is the likewise referring to the groanings of the Spirit, groaning like creation and we ourselves groan? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and right. And here's where I answer... Like I always answer one of these questions per message, is it one or is it one or is it the other? And the answer is yes. It's it's probably both of them. It can be both of them. So whatever it is, good. That's absolutely right. I, it could be either. It could be both. Based on this thought, the Spirit helps us like hope helps us, 
and the Spirit groans like creation and we ourselves groan. Both thoughts are clearly conveyed in the verse. So if you're looking for a definitive answer to which one the likewise is referring to, my answer would be yes. He helps us like hope does and He groans like creation groans and we groan. But in deciphering all that, we skipped the middle part of this verse. And what was the middle part? For, there's that word, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So put in the context of the verse, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Why? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, that's a gratuitous plea for affirmation here. Have you ever just not known what to pray for? I'd say we've all been there. But this verse seems to put us in that camp a little more than some of the time. It is, of course, referring to our sufferings and our groanings. And we saw last week that the creation is groaning. We're groaning because we're suffering from the effects of sin in the world, the results of the fall. So as we suffer and we suffer the effects of sin, as we groan in this world, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. It's one of the effects of sin in the fall. We talked Wednesday night about living a risk-taking life. For those of you that were here, for those of you that weren't, I want to tell you a story about a man named Robert Zwimmer. You all remember Robert Zwimmer from... It's Samuel Zwimmer. Sorry, I wrote down Robert. It's Samuel. Samuel Zwimmer. If you weren't here, or if you don't remember from Wednesday, Zwimmer moved him and his family to Bahrain, which is in the Middle East, to spread the gospel in that area dominated by Islam. His two young daughters died while he was there. And when he asked for permission to bury them, the authorities denied him that right, saying that they were Christians and they would pollute the ground if their corpses were put there. They ultimately said that he could bury them, but only if he dug their graves himself. Now let me ask you a question. If you're Samuel Zwimmer, how do you pray? What do you pray and ask God for? He moved over there to spread the gospel. And obviously he had been praying about whether he should do that or not and came to the conclusion that he should. So how do you pray when you're over there and your daughters are dying and the government won't let you bury them? What do you pray? God protect my family? God save my little girls? God keep me safe here in this country? God get me out of this evil place? I'm sure he struggled with how and what to pray. I know I would. Actually, I don't know that I would. I'd probably say, God, get me out of here. God, make an airplane ticket magically appear. My girls are dead. I'm going home. But he was tortured by, what's the will of God here? Is the will of God for my little girls to die? Must have been. Because they did. So stop praying the prayer to save their lives. They're dead. So he struggled with what to pray. But our verse today shows us that when we don't know how to pray or what to pray, what happens? The Spirit groans along with us, not with words, but He actually petitions the very heart of God for our good, our help, our perseverance. And if you think about that, that's really, really good news for believers. Whether you're in a hostile environment or just making a career choice, God knows that we don't know how to pray for what we ought to pray for. He knows that. We don't know what will best glorify God and help us progress in sanctification, but He does. And His Spirit pleads with God the Father to direct our paths in the way of righteousness for His namesake. So we have hope to carry us through in our sufferings, and we have the Holy Spirit in us pleading to God the Father for us so that the guidance and the power that we need are guaranteed because God the Spirit is asking God the Father to give them to us. God 
asking God to do what God wants to do in and through us for God's sake. Now, I don't fully grasp that, but I'm awfully glad about it. Now, the next verse, which is the last one we'll cover in depth today. That'll give us, this verse will give us more details to what this looks like. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, my first question is, who is he who searches hearts? Let me read you some verses quickly. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Kings 8.39. Remember, we're asking the question, Who is he who searches hearts? Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. 1 Chronicles 28.9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's a bunch of Old Testament. How about New Testament? Acts one twenty four. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. And this one's my favorite one. Jeremiah seventeen nine through 10 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Quotation marks, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So who is he who searches hearts? It's God. God is he who searches hearts. So look at that verse with that in mind. And he who searches hearts, God, God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit lives in me, lives in you if you're a believer, and His mind directs us. And God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now there's a direct connection here between the Spirit and the Father. We are wholeheartedly Trinitarian. Wholeheartedly. One God in three persons. There's a unity in the Trinity that we get the benefit of because the Spirit is living in us. Because the rest of the verse says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? According to the will of God. The Spirit living in us intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So now get this. God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. To intercede here means to pray for, to stand in the place of. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Who else intercedes for us? The verse right before the passage that Don read this morning is Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now who is that He? It's our great high priest that Don read about as we started this morning. And our great high priest is Jesus. So now get this, believer. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. And in Romans 8, 27, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So literally, literally, according to the inspired Word of God, God breathing out these words Himself, He tells us that God the Son intercedes for us, and that God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And they intercede petitioning God the Father on our behalf. Jesus in heaven, seated at God's right hand, intercedes and shows that our sins are paid for. And the Holy Spirit in us intercedes and ensures that the will of God will be done in our lives. Um, Secure much? No, really. How secure can you be? God has a perfect plan. And you can take that plan to the bank. God wants to show His glory in and through us. The church, individually and corporately. And listen, 
It's going to happen. God will show His glory in you, Christian. God will have His way. Philippians 1.6. We probably reference it every other week. And I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. What of that is contingent upon your performance? Nothing. He who began a good work in you, whose doing was that? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who's doing that? Why do I... Why even talk about this? Besides the fact that it's in the Bible. Because I see so many people who are weighed down... Believers, Christians, born again by the Spirit of God, by the work of Christ, walking around saying, man, I just, I don't know. I just think God's mad at me. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I got doubts and questions, and I'm sure God's upset about that. God ain't a bit scared of your doubts, your fears, your questions, your anxieties. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. God finishes what He starts. And He employs His Son and His Spirit to make sure that we get to be a part in it. And stay a part in it. Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for you in this process and in the context of our passage in Romans, back in verse 27, this is especially true in our suffering and when we don't know the will of God. So in those times when we suffer, when you feel like you're at your worst, your most impotent, When you don't know the will of God, what's going on? The Holy Spirit stands in our place and prays for the will of God to be done in us and through us. And in those times when we just don't know the will of God, the Holy Spirit of God stands in our place and prays for the will of God to be done in us and through us. Now does that give you confidence? Does it give you joy? Does it bring power into your life? It ought to. It really, really ought to. Now, I want, to, I want to end our exposition of 26 and 27 there, but I want to take a brief foray into the next verse of the passage that we read because there's a smooth, powerful connection between the next verse and the two verses that we looked at today. You ready? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, we're not going to dive into this today. It's too big. But I did want to take a quick glance at it. I want want to look at it in the flow of the verses. So I'm going to go back to 26, read 26, 27, 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Gulp. Wow. Remarkable. Staggering. No, really. Did you hear what I just read? Did you hear the very words of God? The Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us according to the will of God, and that will is so that all things, all things work together for good, our good, us who are called according to His purpose. And God's will is perfect. And God's will will be accomplished in us and through us. And it will entail our ultimate good. 
The Spirit of God is interceding for us to ensure that this is true in our lives. When we suffer, when we don't know the will of God, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit of God stands in for us, intercedes for us, and ensures that God's will and our good is sure and is occurring in our lives. Christian, suffering, struggling, doubting Christian, breathe that in. It is oxygen for your spirit. Rest in it. God knows your heart. God knows that your heart is wicked and deceitful and His Spirit prays so that you will be in the smack dab center of His will in spite of yourself. But I don't know His will, you say. Of course you don't. He knows that. And that's why He gave you His Spirit who will pray for you and empower you to do what you can't do yourself in your weakness and in your ignorance. And I don't say ignorant as a name, ignorant. I'm saying we just don't know. That's what ignorance means. We don't know what the will of God is all the time. Sometimes we do. And there's so much more in Romans 8, 28. That's for next week. His purpose. So now let's move into application from what we've seen today. First, let's address prayer. Everybody's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Does this passage mean that we should never pray and just let the Spirit pray for us without words? No. We are commanded in the Bible over and over to pray. First Thessalonians 5.17. Here's a good memory verse. Pray without ceasing. You're like, but I don't remember the reference. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So should we pray? Yes. Jesus told the disciples the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, and He told them why He was telling them this parable. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So should we pray? Absolutely. There are scores of biblical commands that we're called to fulfill we should pray God's words back to Him. Thou shalt not covet, Lord, help me not to covet. Rejoice in the Lord always, God, help me to rejoice in You always. Those are, we should pray that way. And this praying without ceasing thing, I love the way John Piper illustrated it. Praying without ceasing looks like this. Help! 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 I need help right now. I need help to do my work well. I need help to not backtalk my parents. I need help to be thankful. Moment by moment we cry out in dependence on the power of the Spirit of God in us to do what we can't do in and of ourselves. So that's the praying without ceasing. God, help me. Help me. God, I need help. God, help. God, He's like, I hear you. Help, help. Okay, I'm helping. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. And there should be times of private prayer where you commune with your heavenly Father in secret. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, not if, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And, so that's private prayer. There's also a call to corporate prayer. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's what they did in church back in the first century. So we've got the constant prayer, the praying without ceasing. We've got the private prayer in, in our closet, in our room. We've got corporate prayer. So yes, we should pray. Pray. Pray in secret. Pray in groups of believers. Pray without ceasing. And pray, here's the key, according to the clear, revealed will of God in His Word. You want to know how to pray? Start reading your Bible. And you pray His Word back to Him. Again, we've got the Spirit of God interceding for us. We've got the Son of God interceding for us. And we've got the very sure Word of God. So I know that if I pray this, God's going to answer it. God, help me to not covet. Okay, I'll give you power to not covet. You talk about surety in prayer. We got it. We got it. So you want to know the clear revealed Word of God or will of God, it's in here. But second application point, there will be times when you do not know the will of God. 
You talk about freedom. You mean I don't have to know every second of the day what God's will is? No, you don't. And there's going to be plenty of times, especially when you're suffering, when things are hard, when you just don't know what the will of God is. That's going to happen. Period. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And since we don't, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We just don't know what to pray for. That's simple. That's true. And God knows this. And get this. He's not mad at you for that. He's not. He knows. He's not up there going, tisk, 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 shaking his head in disbelief at your utter ignorance. God planned in eternity past to have the Spirit intercede for you so that His will would be done in your life when you don't know what to ask for. Listen, some things are easy to discern as far as God's will. Should I go to Walmart and steal a candy bar? No. That's clear. That's easy. I'm not sitting there going, well, God, I'm, I'm going to reach out here and really put myself out there. Should I steal this candy bar? I'm not hearing anything. I'm going to take that as a yes. To jail with you. You're going to work all this for my good, aren't you? Yeah. Some things are easy to discern as far as God's will. His Word speaks clearly on a myriad of issues. But the Bible is silent on a lot of our everyday decisions and tasks. Where should I live? Where's the chapter and verse for that? What should I eat for lunch? I got a leading, but it's a leading of my nose. What about those times when you're hurting so bad and you just want out of the suffering? Then how do you pray? That's a little tougher. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He asked, If it's possible, God, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Three times. But how did He end that prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here, Jesus Himself, the Son of God Himself, fully God, fully man, very God of very God, is praying for one thing. Let this cup pass from me. But then He finally rests on God's will being done, which was the opposite of what He was praying for. So when you're suffering, how do you pray? Well, if Jesus prayed this way... I'm sure we will too. We will want something different than the will of God. And we just won't know the will of God. And God knows that. And He has planned for it. Don't beat yourself up over that. Well, God must be mad at me. He's not answering me. Just be quiet and let the Spirit groan for you. God, I don't know what your will is, but I know, I know that your Spirit's interceding for me even right now. So I'm going to rest. And I'm going to trust that what you're doing is to bring about your will. And your will is my good. So I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. I trust you, Holy Spirit. And there's power in that. Now, quick word of application on this groanings too deep for words thing. This is not some ecstatic experience for super spiritual people. There are those who would use this verse to justify what they call supernatural praying that is outside of their control where they groan or speak in unknown tongues in their prayer. I won't speak to that extensively here, but I will say that this passage today does not in any way validate that experience. So don't use it for that. 
This passage says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now in the previous verses from last week, creation groaned. Was that literal? You ever heard the creation groaning? If you do, let me know because I want to see that. You walk by Karen, it's like, oh. <laughs> it's not a literal groaning. It's a metaphorical groaning. It said that we groan. Now, sometimes we groan, but in this passage, our groaning is metaphorical as well. We groan in anticipation of something, the adoption as sons. So creation's groaning wasn't literal. Our groaning wasn't literal. So is the Spirit's groaning here literal? No, it's expressing a desire that He has. And when we don't know what to pray, His desire intercedes to God on our behalf. It's not a literal groaning. And again, I'm not saying that when somebody says, man, I was just groaning, I was just groaning too deep for words. Okay, man. You know, that's not what this passage is saying. And there may be times when you just groan before the Lord because you're hurting. I get that. But that's not what this passage is talking about. I just wanted to make that clear. This passage is not about ecstatic utterances. It's about the Spirit's anticipation of us and Him interceding for us in ways that we never could. Now, finally, what this passage is about, thank God, is giving poor, groaning, suffering saints confidence and security in their plight and in their state of being unsure of what the will of God is and what they should be about. And where do I get that? I get it from the whole passage. The Spirit of God intercedes for you, saint. When you don't know the will of God, when you don't know how to pray as you ought, the Holy Spirit of God Himself steps in and petitions God the Father on your behalf for the will of God to be done in and through your life. And throw in the fact that God the Son ever lives to make intercession for you, to validate the truth of your sins being forgiven, and you, believer, Christian, are in the midst of an iron-clad security that no demon of hell could ever penetrate or overcome. Paul will end this rapturous chapter by saying something really beautiful and powerful. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Listen, I have doubts, I have fears, I have anxieties, I worry, I trouble. But man, when I read this, when I read what we've looked at today, something happens in my spirit. There are a lot of promises in the New Testament in particular and in the Bible in general that speak clearly of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But if we only had what we looked at today, it would be enough. As believers, when we are at our worst not even knowing how to pray, the Spirit of God given to us as the Spirit of adoption, like we saw earlier in Romans 8, that very same Spirit, He intercedes for us while God knows our hearts and understands our weakness. God has made a plan for fumbling, bumbling saints to make it to glory and be perfected once and for all. And the part of that plan that we saw today was the Holy Spirit of God interceding for us. Listen to that. God's Holy Spirit in you intercedes for you because He knows that you struggle. He knows that you suffer. He knows that you groan. He knows that you live in the end of Romans 7 that says, In my mind I serve the law of God, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. He knows that. And He's made a plan to carry you through. The passage doesn't say that He does so in spite of our weakness, but in the midst of it. He intercedes for us because He knows that we need it. And we even went so far as to say 
that as this is happening, God is causing all things to work together for our good. Now, just a quick snippet of next week, it doesn't mean everything that happens to us is good. Some of it's bad, some of it's hard, some of it's atrocious. But He is causing it to work together for our ultimate good. In our suffering and weakness, God is causing all things to work together for our good. That is confidence and security for every wayward, tired, confused, homesick believer looking for a way through this mess of a groaning world. Rest, believer. Let the Spirit intercede for you. Let the Spirit assure you of His perfect work and your final destiny. The Spirit of God is praying God's will for you. And God's will for you, Christian, is that all things work together for your good and for His glory. And it will be. You can take that to the bank. But, you may say as we finish, how do I know about the Spirit? If you are a believer, we saw a couple weeks ago, you have the Spirit. That's earlier in Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Anybody that doesn't have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. As a believer, you have the Spirit. He is interceding for you. It's going to happen. Now, what if you don't have the Spirit? The purpose of the Spirit of God for the unbeliever is to convict you of your sin and your need for a Savior. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know Jesus, I'm not saved, I'm not a believer. Well, the Spirit would knock on the door of your heart today and say that you were conceived in sin. You were born a rebel. You were born with your hair on fire running toward hell in rebellion toward God. You didn't have a choice in that matter. That's back in Romans 1 through Romans 3. We're all born sinners, every single one of us. You say, well, I'm not too bad. You are born in sin, every one of us. And you need someone to step in and pay the penalty for your sins. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, carried a Roman cross 2,000 years ago up a hill. They nailed Him to it. And as they nailed Him to it, God poured out His wrath upon your sin in the person of Jesus Christ. And as He hung there, taking your beating, your punishment for your sin, at the end of it, He said, It is finished. And that word means paid in full. So the Spirit of God, unbeliever, would look at you today and say, You need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus. Well, how do I receive this? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the Scripture says everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. That's the gospel. And it looks like this, God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. I believe He paid the penalty for my sins. And I believe you accepted that as my full payment. I trust you to do what I couldn't do. I could never save myself. But I believe that Jesus paid my penalty and saved me. And let me tell you what. The Holy Spirit of God moves into your life in that moment. He's the seal of your redemption. And you're like, well, I don't really feel any different. 
I didn't really have any ecstatic utterances or anything. That's when you come to the Word and say, God, teach me the truth of what you said just happened in my life. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. You can take it to the bank. Let's pray. God, I am amazed at you. I'm amazed at your plan. I'm amazed that you choose to use me to show your glory. I don't get it. You could have done a lot of things, God. Quasars and earthquakes, stars and planets, constellations, galaxies. And you have shown your preference to reveal your glory through us. And not only that, you have made certain through your plan, through your power, that it's going to happen. God, for all of us who have questions, who have doubts, who don't know your will, you've made provision. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank you that we can rest in those times. God, it's going to hurt, yes. You don't always take away the suffering. You didn't for Jesus. But you did raise Him to glory and give Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we suffer God, as believers, we follow His example and we march all the way to death if we have to. And we rest in Your perfect will being accomplished in us in the midst of our ignorance and unsurety. You are mindful of us. You know our frame that we are but dust. And you have set your love on us in the midst of it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His finished work. Thank you that He sat down at your right hand having completed the work that you sent Him to do. And when He sat down, He sent the Spirit who now resides in us. And those two ever live to make intercession for us. Thank you for the rest of that, God. Thank you for the peace of that. Thank you for the surety of that. You are good, and your love and your mercy endure forever. Help us to suffer well as we await the redemption of our bodies. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction, and we'll be done. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all. You're dismissed.